Since 2003, over 20,000 Ontarians have received a life-saving organ transplant. According to the Canadian Institute for Health Information, the deceased donor rate of organ transplantation in Canada has increased by 42% between 2009 and 2018. Despite the increase in organs available for transplant in Canada and the resultant increase in the number of transplants performed annually, there are still over 1,500 Canadians currently waiting for an organ transplant. Deceased organ donation can occur following neurological death or donation after circulatory death, known as DCD. Some organs can be donated by living donors, including a single kidney or a partial liver lobe, a pancreas segment or islet cells, a partial intestine, and a single lung. Today, our patient is being evaluated for organ donation after neurological death, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled Organ Donation After Neurological Death, The Gift of Life. Time for our minute physiology. In Canada, brain death is defined as the irreversible capacity for consciousness and centrally mediated motor responses, combined with the irreversible loss of all brainstem functions, including the capacity to breathe. A patient determined to be brain dead is legally and clinically dead. Regardless of the initial cause of brain injury, there is a final common pathway leading to brain death and a sequelae of pathophysiological changes. Tissue edema or mass effect lead to increased intracranial pressure and subsequently impaired cerebral blood flow. Ischemia related to increased intracranial pressure results in further neuronal injury, abnormal vascular autoregulation, and edema. These changes contribute to further increases in intracranial pressure ultimately leading to irreversible brain death through intracranial pressure exceeding arterial inflow pressure, cessation of cerebral blood flow, and brain herniation. Rising intracranial pressure triggers an inflammatory cascade of cytokine and catecholamine release, which affects cardiorespiratory and hypothalamic function and pituitary hormone regulation. The loss of central regulatory mechanisms ultimately leads to altered hemodynamics, temperature control, and hormone regulation. Medullary ischemia can induce catecholamine release in an effort to maintain adequate cerebral perfusion pressure. This sympathetic storm can result in catecholamine-induced myocardial dysfunction and subsequent cardiogenic shock. Distributive shock can also occur as a consequence of neurogenically mediated myocardial dysfunction and a fall in systemic vascular resistance following catecholamine and sympathetic hormone depletion. Furthermore, malignant hypertension may initially occur with this catecholamine release. However, hypotension secondary to spinal cord ischemia may follow the hypertensive emergency and may be associated with peripheral vasodilation and decreased catecholamine release. Diabetes insipidus is a commonly seen effect of altered hormone regulation and can result from unregulated renal losses of free water in the setting of arginine vasopressin deficiency. Alright, so now that we've talked about the basic pathophysiology of brain death, let's talk about the approach to organ donation. The clinical approach to organ donation in a patient with neurological death involves the neurological determination of death, consent for organ donation, and the institution of standardized investigations and management principles for this unique patient population. Neurological determination of death is the process and procedure to determine death in the context of a ventilated patient with irreversible brain failure. Minimum clinical criteria for neurological determination of death 
include an established etiology capable of causing brain death and the absence of reversible or confounding factors capable of mimicking neurological death. Confounding factors or mimickers of neurological death include unresuscitated shock, hypothermia with a core body temperature less than 34 degrees Celsius, inborn errors of metabolism, severe electrolyte abnormalities, peripheral nerve or muscle dysfunction, neuromuscular blockade, clinically significant drug intoxications, i.e. opioids, and hypoxic ischemic brain damage secondary to cardiac arrest. Once approximate cause of brain death has been identified and any potential confounding conditions have been corrected if present, the physician performs a neurologic exam to confirm brain death. In accordance with Ontario provincial standards, a minimum of two determinations of neurological death must be completed by physicians with no association to the proposed recipient. Full and current licensure for independent medical practice in the relevant Canadian jurisdiction and skills and knowledge in the management of patients with severe brain injury and neurological determination of death in the patient's age group. As there are differences in the procedures for determining neurological death in neonates and infants, relevant provincial standards should be consulted for these age groups. The neurological examination for determining brain death includes three main groups of testing. The first is the testing of central nervous system-mediated motor responses to pain, used to confirm deep, unresponsive coma. Deep, unresponsive coma is the absence of all motor responses, excluding spinal reflexes, and entails no posturing, no seizure, no shivering, and no facial or cranial nerve response to the stimulation of any part of the body or response to stimulation in cranial nerve distribution. This exam should confirm the absence of any centrally mediated motor responses to pain or centrally mediated spontaneous movements. However, spinal reflexes may be present. The second is brainstem reflex testing to confirm brainstem areflexia and includes absent pupillary reflex to direct and consensual light, corneal reflex, cough reflex, gag reflex, oculocephalic reflex, and oculovestibular reflex. The third is the apnea test, used to confirm absent respiratory efforts in the presence of hypercarbia. While continuing to support oxygenation, PaCO2 levels are increased to a maximum point in an attempt to elicit the respiratory response, and threshold PaCO2 and pH levels must be met by arterial blood gas measurements. In addition to these three groups of tests, ancillary testing may be used to determine the absence of intracranial flow in certain circumstances where components of clinical testing cannot be completed. If conditions capable of mimicking neurological death cannot be corrected, or if any part of the neurological exam cannot be reliably performed or interpreted, the Trillium Gift of Life Network Donation Support Physician should be contacted. The Donation Support Physician is an intensivist on call via phone within Ontario. Their role is to advise the most responsible physician, the Provincial Resource Centre, and the Organ and Tissue Donation Coordinator when questions and issues arise. Once the process of neurological determination of death has been completed and your patient is confirmed to be brain dead, the official pronouncement of death with the associated documentation should be completed. The time of the first completed determination of neurological death is the legal time of death. Consent for organ donation in Ontario is an opting-in system, requiring the expressed consent of the donor or substitute decision maker. Donor consent may have already been established through the patient joining the provincial registry. If wishes are unknown, consent for organ donation may be given in priority order 
by next of kin or other specified individuals. Effective communication with substitute decision makers to obtain consent has been shown to improve overall rates of organ donation authorization. As such, involving the hospital's organ donation coordinator is recommended, as these individuals are experienced with communication around the donation process. Now let's talk about the workup. Routine investigations that should be performed in all patients include CBC, electrolytes, extended electrolytes, urea, creatinine, glucose, coagulation markers, liver panel, arterial blood gas, lactate, surveillance cultures of blood, urine, and endotracheal tube, organ matching and suitability microbiologic testing, blood group and screen, and HLA subtype. In addition to these tests, organ-specific investigations are also warranted. In prospective heart donors, testing should include troponin, ECG, and echocardiogram. Recent Canadian clinical practice guidelines recommend that coronary angiogram be performed only in donors with risk factors for coronary artery disease, as determined according to local criteria. In prospective kidney donors, urinalysis should be completed, along with an albumin to creatinine ratio in donors with type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Renal ultrasound may be warranted depending on the clinical situation. All lung donors should undergo a single routine diagnostic chest radiograph, additional chest imaging is clinically indicated, and bronchoscopy with bronchial washing sent for gram stain and culture. Furthermore, hepatitis serology should be done in all prospective liver donors and a hemoglobin A1c is recommended for pancreas donation. Let's talk about treatment. The physiological sequelae of neurological death, including hormone dysregulation and autonomic instability, can lead to organ damage preventing organ donation. As such, these patients need close monitoring and management to prevent irreversible end-organ dysfunction. Standard intensive care level monitoring should be continued for all prospective organ donors. Hormone regulation abnormalities are common complications of neurological death. If diabetes insipidus is suspected, vasopressin should be administered and free water deficits should be corrected with fluids if needed. As of 2020, Canadian guidelines suggest against routine thyroid hormone supplementation and there is currently no recommendation about thyroid supplementation for patients with hemodynamic instability or cardiac dysfunction. To note, in historical practice, thyroid replacement, methylprednisone, and vasopressin were recommended in donors with left ventricular dysfunction, specifically an EF of less than or equal to 40%. The management of autonomic instability associated with brain death is complex. Malignant hypertension should be managed with short-acting IV antihypertensive agents such as hydralazine. In the setting of shock, vasopressin IV is the first-line vasoactive medication, followed by norepinephrine. Stress dose steroids should also be considered in the management of shock following brain death, with recent Canadian guidelines recommending IV corticosteroids for donors requiring vasopressor support. Several donor management strategies rely on organ-specific principles. In prospective kidney donors, mean arterial pressure should be targeted at greater than 65 to 70, nephrotoxic agents should be avoided, and fluids should be given prior to any contrast infusions. Mild hypothermia, targeting a temperature of 34 to 35 degrees Celsius, is utilized to reduce the rate of delayed renal graft function. High-dose methylprednisone is administered in prospective lung donors to diminish the effects of the inflammatory cascade on donor lung function. Lung protective ventilation strategies should also be followed in these patients. Serum sodium levels should be targeted at 135 to 145, Specifically, as serum sodium levels greater than 155 have been associated with primary liver dysfunction in liver transplant recipients. 
Infections do not preclude organ donation and should be treated. However, organ procurement may be delayed until donors are treated with the appropriate therapy and the risk of transmission to the recipient is reduced. Enteral feeding should be continued until called to the operating room and blood glucose levels should be targeted at 6 to 10. Prophylactic intensive care measures should be continued, including venous thromboembolism and stress ulcer prophylaxis. All right, time for our medicine minute. In January 2021, the landmark Human Organ and Tissue Donation Act came into effect in Nova Scotia. Under this law, all Nova Scotians are considered organ and tissue donors unless they opt out, making Nova Scotia the first jurisdiction in North America to pass a deemed consent law. While it is too early to assess donation system outcomes at this time, the impact of this new legislation will be closely studied over the next few years and may inform future practices across the country. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Organ Donation After Neurological Death, The Gift of Life. This episode is written by Dr. Rochelle Melvin, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Florence Moriello, intensivist, and Dr. Stephen Shadowitz, general internist. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and is executively managed by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. This episode was recorded by Leah Karianopoulos and produced by Nathan Dupnik. Theme song by Lakshman Vasanthamoan. If you liked this episode, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out www.theinternetwork.com for associated resources and infographics. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.